Amen. That's a great, simple truth. Y'all may be seated. Get to a Bible, turn on a Bible, but get to Revelation chapter 21 today. While you're turning there, let me uh, just kind of expound on, expand on what Devon was talking about, the men's uh, conference for next Saturday. I, sometimes it's, time gets away. But um, guys, meet here at the church, all right? And um, I think if off the top of my head, I believe registration is like at 8 o'clock. So I would encourage everybody to get here about maybe a little before 7, take off at 7.15 or, or whatever, and then you can drive up together. Um, Roger, since you're the, the, men's, the men's teacher on Tuesday night, I'm going to give you everything and you can be the point guy. That's all right. Get a thumbs up from Roger. Good to go. If you have any questions, you can talk to Roger and I'm going to let him take care of everything because... Um, I will be gone. Paul and I are going to be on vacation next Sunday. So um, next week uh, we will be gone. So I will not be going to the men's conference. So I got to pass that off. But we are um, in Revelation chapter 21 today. You know, um, my wife loves shopping at secondhand stores, whether it's Goodwill, um, Stuff, etc. We call it Stuff Mart up in Davenport. It doesn't matter. She loves it. And I appreciate that because she saves us a lot of money. I mean, she'll go in there and come out with, you know, four bags of stuff and spend like only $60, but she loves it. And, um, and some of you are probably like that. You just like buying, you know, maybe it's, you, you like going to secondhand stores. You know, you just, when it comes to a vehicle, man, you're just used car all the way. You know, you, there's nothing wrong with buying used stuff. I mean, buying used stuff is good. But how many of you know, there is just times though, that there is just something about brand new, okay? I mean, a used car is great, but how many of you just love that brand new car smell, all right? There's something about, you know, you know when you buy those brand new shoes, all right? Especially if you like buy white tennis shoes, people are like, man, those are really white. Why? Because they're brand new. All right, there's just something sometimes about something that is just brand new. Well, we're in a study of the book of, Revel, or book of Isaiah, and, and we've been looking at, for the past several weeks, a lot of end times and eternal things. Because Isaiah, as a prophet, back 700 years before Jesus, he saw prophetic things. He saw future events. You know, he saw the coming of Jesus. He saw the death of Christ. But he also saw prophetically end time events. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that he saw the, the end times tribulation that would take place on this earth. But he also saw eternal things. He saw the millennial. If you remember this chart that I, I, I've been kind of go, using the past couple weeks, remember everything starts and begins with the death of uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the cross. The church age begins at the cross, and we are in that church age. And, and during that church age, people have lived and people have died, and the reality is there are people who have come that believe in Jesus and accept him, and, and they go to heaven. But during this church age, there's also people who have refused to believe Jesus and, and, and not re receive him as Savior. They have died, and, and they go to Hades, all right? And, and Hades is a holding cell. It's like a prison until they go to the great white throne judgment, 
All right. So this church age is going to come to an end and it's going to come to an end when the rapture takes place. The rapture is a, a partial return of Christ to the earth when he is going to call up the church. Every single believer dead and alive. The bodies of dead believers are going to be resurrected and they're going to be caught up in the air and their spirit and body is going to be come together again. Then if you are alive at the rapture, your body's going to be taken out and everybody's going to go back to heaven. And at that point, the tribulation is going to happen on this earth. And Jesus talks about the, the, the tribulation. John or Isaiah in chapter 24 talks about the tribulation. Revelation by John describes what will happen during the tribulation. The tribulation is going to be a period of time where the earth is going to experience the total outpouring of the wrath of God upon sin. And the earth is going to basically almost fall apart. And that tribulation is going to come to an end when Jesus makes his complete second return back to earth. And when he comes back to earth, everything is going to be renewed. And that is going to start what we looked at a couple, the past couple weeks, the millennial reign, the thousand year reign, as described in, in Revelation chapter 19 and Isaiah chapter 65. For a thousand years, Jesus is going to reign on this earth. And for a thousand years, the earth is going to be restored to a pristine condition. And then after millennial reign, after that thousand year reign, two things are going to happen. One, the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20. This is where every dead believer, or unbeliever, excuse me, every dead unbeliever is going to come back to life. And they will be resurrected. And their body and soul are going to come back together and they will stand before the great white throne and they will be judged for their sin. But the ultimate judgment is going to be is because their name was not found in the Lamb's book of life. They never came to believe, to live, to, 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 to trust Jesus as their Savior. And Revelation chapter 20 makes it very clear that people who have rejected Jesus now and who die in their sin will stand before that judgment and Jesus will look at them and say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And they will spend an eternity in a separation from the Lord in hell. And then after that is the eternity, the eternal kingdom. And that's what we're looking at today. This thing is going to be phenomenal. All right. And so today what I want to do is I want us to look at this eternal kingdom. I, I want to look at what this eternal kingdom is going to have, but even more specifically, the newness of this eternal kingdom. In fact, if you look at verse five in chapter 21 there, it says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything, what's the word? New. I am making everything new. So today, I want to look at the newness of this eternal kingdom. I want to look at what new things are going to be in this eternal kingdom. So here's the first thing that we see that is going to be new, what this eternal kingdom is going to have, and it's this. The eternal kingdom will have a new creation. It's going to have a new creation. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 21, John writes, now remember, John is an apostle. 
He was one of the apostles of Jesus. We just studied the book of John. John has been exiled to this island called Patmos. All right. He, he was preaching the gospel and finally the Romans were tired of it and exiled him to a, an island where he would spend the rest of his days and die. And John gets a revelation. He, like Isaiah, sees something prophetic. He's first taken up in the spirit to heaven and he's experiencing heaven. He gets to see everything that we will experience when you die. He's seeing this. But that's when he sees the tribulation. That's when he sees the, 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 the final war between Jesus and the Antichrist. That's when he sees the thousand-year reign. And now he's seeing the eternal kingdom. And in Revelation chapter 21, he sees this new creation. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now the heaven... It's hard to determine if this is the universe or the atmosphere, okay? How many of you know it doesn't really matter, okay? If he creates a new universe, I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that, all right? Whatever God wants to create, let him create it. So he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if you remember Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1, it says this. There it is. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And I remember when we studied that, I said, that's very similar to Revelation chapter 21. All right? Similar, but different. Okay? This verse, the word new, new heavens, new earth, the word new means to restore or to renew. Okay? In chapter 21 here, when he says, I saw the new heaven and the new earth, that word new, and here's what it literally means. The word new in the Greek, the Greek word is, is kainos, and it means this. It pertains to that which is new. <laughs> I know, but here's the kicker, though. It pertains to that which is new, but has never been used. The word kainos, the Greek word, is also the same Greek word in John chapter 19, verse 41. This is after Je when Jesus has been crucified. In John chapter 19, verse 41, it says this. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, a chaos tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. It's the same idea. The tomb that Jesus was laid in was a brand new tomb. No one had ever been laid in it. No one had ever been buried in it. Jesus was going to be the first person laid in that brand new tomb. That's what this word kainos here in Revelations is describing. A new heaven and a new earth that has never been used. Think of it this way. How many of you ever remodeled any houses? You've done remodeling on a house? If you've ever gutted a house, okay, I mean, you just stripped it down to bare bones and then you're like, we're just going to remodel this entire thing. Outside, inside, new roof, everything. Let me ask you, you get it done, is it a new house? No. It's still the old home, isn't it? It's still the old frame. It's still the old shell. What you did, though, you restored it. You renewed it. You remodeled it. It's still the same house. You move back in, you're like, 
The living room is still where it is. The bedrooms are still where it's at. We still have the same upstairs, but it's just been renewed. Now, your neighbor wants to do the same thing, but he's like, man, forget the remodel. Bring the bulldozer. And he bulldozes his house down, and he calls the company in, and they take it all away, and he just has a lot. And he builds a house. And you look at it, and you're like, man, that house looks nothing like your old one. And he's like, absolutely. I wanted a brand new one. And it looks nothing like his old house. Let me ask you, is the house that he built brand new the same as the house that was restored? No. Completely different. Both look really nice. Both are in pristine condition. But this renewed house is still the same old house. During the, the, the thousand-year reign, the earth will still be the old earth. Just made new, restored, remodeled, okay? John is describing a new earth and a new heaven that is brand new, that it's never been lived in before. I believe this is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You see, when you and I die, we're going to go to heaven, and you're going to experience things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived. I believe this also pertains to this, that when we see this new heaven and the new earth, our eyes have not seen it. Our ears have not heard things, and your mind cannot begin to conceive what this new heaven and this new earth will be like. It's going to be phenomenal, and God is going to create it, a new heaven and a new earth. There is going to be a new creation. Are you okay with a new creation? I certainly am. It's going to be something that you and I have never seen before. So there's going to be a new creation in this eternal kingdom. Here's the second thing. The eternal kingdom will have a new calmness. There's going to be a new calmness. Now, remember last week I said, when I'm teaching this stuff, you know, like the chart and everything about the rapture and everything, I said, hey, listen, if you disagree with me, that's okay. Because there, are, there, there is wiggle room in this stuff. These are not the absolute essentials, the big rocks, okay? Me declaring that this is the very word of God, that's a big rock. Me declaring that the only way you get to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ, that's a big rock. All right, those are big rocks. The Trinity, big rock. When the rapture will take place and all that, little rock. Things that will take place in this new earth and new heaven, little rock. We can agree to disagree, but let's agree to disagree in love, okay? This point here, you may go, I disagree. That's okay, but I'm going to give you what I feel is happening here. So look at, again, verse 1. John writes, he says, I saw the new heaven and new earth for the first heaven had. Oh, you know what? I got to expound on that for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Now, this is why there's no new heaven and no new earth. It's gone. It passes away. What do I mean by it passes away? First Peter, I mean, second Peter actually tells us what happens to all of this. In second Peter, it, it, it says that. The present heaven and earth are reserved for fire. That the heavens will disappear with a roar. 
the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. God is going to light a match. <laughs> Gone. Done. Then the new heaven and new earth. Okay? So this is what Paul, and so John says, he says, the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and here it is, and there is no longer any sea. Now, I find that interesting that he includes that in there. Like, why is that necessary? And I don't have a direct answer. But here's my best guess. Can I give you my best guess what this means? Could this be literal that when he sees the new heaven and new earth, that there are no seas, no oceans? Yes, okay? But here's my take on this. I think it's not like he sees a world with no water. I think what he sees, what is missing, is what the seas represent. What the sea does. L let me explain. For example, the sea, the, the oceans, the, the, the big bodies of water always represent, always are a symbol of unpetual unrest, perpetual unrest, okay? Think of how, do you ever see the ocean 24-7 calm? Is it always just like still like glass? No, you don't. What is happening? There's always a turning. There's always a churning. Waves are always crashing, okay? Think of when Jesus was out on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, it says, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a huge storm came upon the boat, and the waves were crashing onto the boat, about to sink it. What did Jesus have to do to the storm? Not just calm it, what did he do? He rebuked the winds, all right? He rebukes the whims, winds and the waves, and the storm calms, and the water is still. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20 says that the sinfulness or the wickedness of man is like the tossing of the sea. In Revelation chapter 20, we read how the sea was the place of death. Revelation 13 describes how the beastly rule of the Antichrist comes out of the sea. Okay, the sea is a, like a picture of things that are in turmoil, things that are are bad, things that bring death, things that, that, you know, unrest all the time. So I wonder when I, when John sees this new heaven and new earth, he's not seeing a literal missing of the sea, but I wonder if he's looking at humanity, the sea of humanity, and he sees something missing. And here's what I mean. I wonder if he sees humanity at perfect rest think about us right now think about what the word said how does the word define what god is what is god love i knew you all would say that one but paul often wrote his letters with one distinguishing intro peace may grace and peace be to you from our Heavenly Father. God is defined as a God of peace. Isaiah talks about that God gives perfect peace 
to those whose minds are set on him. There's this idea that, how many of you would agree, there's always a restlessness inside of us, isn't there? Are, is, are, is there any person at always 24-7 peace? Is your life constantly just restful? Is there, no, there's always a stirring in us. There's always a turmoil in us. There's a constant unrest within us all. And don't we all long for peace? So I got to wonder when we come into this new heaven, and I think when we get to heaven and we enter into this new world, what John is seeing is people at rest. That there is a perfect rest, a perfect peace, a perfect calmness, no sinfulness. He, he sees people with complete security and confidence, complete tranquility. Every wrong, bad, negative thing that takes place on this earth is gone. Because I sit and think, where did Jesus walk a lot around? The Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to a huge body of water, if you ever go to the ocean, do you ever just sit by the ocean and you just hear, Krush, Krush. do you ever, like the, the app Calm, one of the things is a, a, a gentle wave crashing. And what is it supposed to do? Calm you. That's why I, I go, can this be literal? Absolutely. If God wants to create a new world with no oceans and no seas, well, it's his. And he's free to create it how he wants. But I also think that there is a calmness. I'm really hoping there are oceans because I've always in this life wanted a beach house by the ocean. <laughs> I don't think that will happen because... I don't have 2.5 million sitting in the bank. So I'm hoping that when the Bible says that there will become a time where God will give us the desires of our heart, that that desire to live by the ocean will happen. So I believe what Isaiah is seeing when he sees no more sea is what the sea represents, what the sea does. Now, like I said, if you would disagree with me, that's okay. Can you understand why that's a little stone? It's not an essential. We can agree to disagree. I, that's, that's my take. I believe that the new heaven, the new earth, that there's going to be a new calmness, something you and I have never experienced while living on this earth. So there's a new creation. There is a new calmness. Here's the third thing. There is a new city. The eternal kingdom will have a new city. Look at verse 2. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The holy city of Jerusalem, the new city of Jerusalem. I did some research this week. The, the Jerusalem that's in Israel right now, it has been attacked 52 different times besieged 23 different times, recaptured 44 times, and completely destroyed twice. People want Israel, or want Jerusalem. It has been a hub of wars for centuries. 
Okay? And so Jerusalem has always been considered the city of God. Jerusalem was the center of Jesus' death and crucifixion. And Jerusalem will be the center of, of Jesus' government during the millennial reign. And this old city of Jerusalem is going to be wiped away and replaced by a new Jerusalem. And this new Jerusalem is going to be the city of God. Now, in a couple weeks, when I get back in a couple weeks, I'm actually, in, in starting in verse 9, it describes this heavenly city. So I'm not going to go really deep on this, on this city right now, but I'm going to come back to this. And we're going to sit here in Revelation for a couple weeks and, and look at that. And I'm telling you, this new city of Jerusalem is phenomenal. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that when you and I die right now, as a believer in Christ, you go to heaven. And the new Jerusalem is in heaven right now, waiting and when you and I go to heaven, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it says that we come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. God dwells in this city, in this new city. And you and I, we, we can't be really begin to fathom what this means, but it's the city of God. I believe that's where the throne room of God is. And we come to it when you go to heaven. But now notice, it says... He sees the holy city of Jerusalem. It's coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. In verse 3, he says, Now I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. The heavenly Jerusalem is in heaven right now. When you die now as a believer, either die or you get raptured as a believer, we all go to heaven. And we are in heaven until this. We need to understand this one very dynamic understanding of biblical um, teaching. Heaven is not your eternal home. It is a temporary home. All right? Just like in, in the chart that I saw, Hades is a temporary holding cell until the eternal hell. Heaven is our eternal, or our, our, our temporal heavenly home until this. When God creates the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal city of Jerusalem is leaving heaven. And where's it coming to? Earth. It is coming to this new earth. And it says, as John said, I saw it coming out of heaven, and now the dwelling place of God is with man. It'll be with us. And so when you hear people go, oh, we'll be in heaven forever. No, you're not. The new earth is not heaven. I know that sounds like, oh, that's heretical. Show me where it says that the new earth is heaven. It's not. It is a new earth. The new Jerusalem's coming out of heaven to the earth. And this is where you and I will dwell on this new earth for eternity. Now, some people hear that and go, really? I don't want to live on the earth. I want to live in heaven. Well, number one, you don't have a clue what heaven looks like. 
And number two, you don't have a clue what the new earth is going to be like. That's why you've got to go back to understanding what the, when it says, because our minds only know what? This earth. This earth, since Adam and Eve fell, has always been cursed. Sin has always permeated it, all right? And so we don't see, so we only see that effect. So in our minds, oh, I don't want to live in this kind of stuff. We won't live in this condition forever. The new condition that we're going to live in is that this thing is gone, and God <clears throat> makes something new. Don't you like how that created that? Don't put me on a pottery wheel. You don't know what you're going to get. But God is going to create something new. Your eyes have not seen it. Your ears have not heard it. Your mind on its best day cannot even think it. You see, don't get bent out of shape because we're not going to spend eternity in heaven. The new earth is going to be, I believe, as beautiful or better than the heaven. Because I sit and go, I mean, why is God going to build it? I have no idea. Why not just keep us in heaven? I don't know. But for some reason, God is going to create something, and it's got to be pretty good if he's bringing his eternal city out of heaven to put it here. There's going to be this new city, and it's coming for us and we will dwell and come in and out of it. Here's the fourth thing about the eternal kingdom, and it's this. It will have a new closeness. It will have a new closeness. Look at verse 3. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Here's the way I look at this. That when it says that God himself will be their God, I believe it is the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three together dwelling with man. I believe that has not happened since Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. When it says in the garden of Eden that God walked with Adam and Eve, I believe that was the triune God. It was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three walking and communing and being in fellowship with Adam and Eve. After the fall, that changed. After the fall, you don't ever read in Scripture all three together on the planet Earth. You usually see like a pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus in the Old Testament, during the disciples, it was primarily just Jesus the Son on the earth. They got close one time. Do you know when that one time was? What? Nope, not the transfiguration. The baptism. Because you had Jesus the Son on the earth. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And, but they heard a voice from heaven. God the Father was not present. This time, I truly believe in the new earth, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three will dwell on the earth. 
and we will dwell with them. We will be his people, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will be our God. And we will live and dwell with him forever. Again, our minds can't understand that. Okay, Right now, the only part of God we experience is what? The Holy Spirit. Okay, now, it, now, does that mean that Jesus can't appear? But what's the likelihood of Jesus really appearing to us? Really, really small. Right now, all we experience is one part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Here, I believe we're going to experience a closeness with God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, like never before. And we cannot grasp it. Our minds right now cannot truly understand. That's why Paul says right now, you and I only know one part. We see, but like just seeing a reflection. But there will come a day that we will know as we are fully known. That means that the eyes of our hearts are going to be completely opened up. Our minds will be opened up to a degree that we cannot begin to fathom. But there is going to be a closeness that we will have with God. And then lastly, here's the last thing that the eternal kingdom will have. And it's this, a new chapter. It will have a new chapter. Look at verse 4. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. So many times, I'm going to be honest, I think I had a, a different view on this, talking about he'll wipe away the tears from their eyes. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of teaching on why there will be tears at this. And people will say, there's tears in heaven. This is not heaven, folks. Okay? So people, well, why will there be tears? Again, I don't think he's wiping away literal tears from the eye. I think he's wiping away everything that will bring tears to the eye. Because look what he says. He says, he will wipe away tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old things are gone. Anything that could bring tears to the eye, wiped away. Pain, wiped away. Death, wiped away. Hurt, wiped away. Sorrow, wiped away. Everything that could bring a tear to your eye wiped away. Why? Because the old order of things, this order that we're living in, pain, hurt, suffering, sorrow, death, sickness, disease, that's all we feel. Anybody have a tear come to the eye lately? How many of you parents cry over a child? When was the last time you were at a funeral and you cried at the funeral? How many times when you hurt yourself, you cried, tears came to your eyes, okay? It's the pain of this earth. That's the old order. And when he creates the new heaven and the new earth, the old is gone, annihilated, wiped out, destroyed. Now, anything that can bring pain and sorrow, hurt, gone. So the idea of a tear coming to your eye, again, we can't, can you, can you cry? 
Can you, can, you, can you wrap your mind around that even for a second? No. All we know are tears. That's all we know. Could this be literal? Absolutely. But I'm thinking it's the literal part of him wiping away everything that can bring the tear. Because if, there is, if, he, if he's wiped away everything that can bring a tear... Will there be a tear? No. You'll be tearless because everything on this new heaven, with this new heaven and this new earth, there is, there's no pain. There is no sorrow. There is no death. There's nothing bad. There's nothing hurt. Again, we're so conditioned to the hurt, to the pain. And do you want to know the ultimate reason why there's not going to be anything to hurt? Because the one that brings the hurt. In fact, if you just look at Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 10. <laughs> it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the burning lake of sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever. A lot of people will hear this and say, well, the devil's going to rule and reign in hell. No, he is not. The devil is going to be tormented day and night forever. So the one that brings the pain, brings the sin, brings the hurt, the one that causes all this stuff is completely gone. Old order. Do you understand why in the new order? Because I've sometimes had this thought. Will we be able to sin in the new order? No. Because everything that causes us to sin, that pull, that, 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 like the enemy just constantly is gone. Like I, I showed it with Devon last week. As long as I was away from Devon, he could just stand perfectly still. But as much, I kept pushing him, he kept moving. Right now, the enemy is pushing you, pulling you, pushing you, pulling you. But when he's gone, there's nothing to bring sin in your life. There's no temptation. There's nothing to bring hurt in your life because there's no death. There's no hate. There's no bitterness. There's no anger. I mean, if you just allow yourself just to go home this week, read these passages again, close your eyes and meditate on that. Do you understand why that the Bible talks about that it is a source of faith and hope? Because this kind of message should cause your faith to grow. This should cause you to have a hope inside of you, knowing this world, this life, everything in this world is but a breath compared to the eternal kingdom we will dwell in. Now, verses 5 through 8 are some very important verses. The newness stuff is now we're, we've completed that. But verses 5 through 8 tells us, though, who will experience this. Because um, the reality is, contrary to popular opinion, contrary to cultural belief, everybody does not go to hell. No, people will say, well, unless you're just really bad, you know, 
Ted Bundy, he's going to hell. Hitler, he's in hell. But Grandma, well, she was the nicest person ever. You go to any funeral, I don't care who it is. I've done enough funerals in my life. I've been to, everybody says it. Well, at least they're at rest now. They're, 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 in, a better, they're in a better place. It doesn't matter who it is. Everybody's in a better place. Doesn't matter what they believe. I've done funerals for people not in this church. And I've asked the family, do you want any verses for the for the for your loved one? And I've had people tell me this. Oh no, they weren't religious. We don't want any scriptures. They didn't believe in God or anything. But in conversation, oh, we just thank God that dad is in a better place. Look at these verses. And this tells us very simply. Not everybody goes to heaven. First, look at verse 5. So he who is seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. Everybody say, praise God for that. Well, that was encouraging. Everybody say, praise God for that. that. Making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true. Loved ones, what you read here is coming to pass. And you can trust this. You, again, people mock. Well, when's, when's, Peter even wrote about that. When, when's Jesus coming back? I thought he said he was coming back. This is a bunch of nonsense. Loved ones, trustworthy and true. He's coming back, and everything we read in Revelation is going to happen. And this new heaven and this new earth is going to be created, and God's going to get it done. Now look at verse 6. And this is Jesus saying this. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give the drink without cost from the spring of water of life. We saw this in the book of John when we studied that Jesus talks about the river of life. He says, he's like, look, you should have a thirst inside of you. There should be something inside of you that just knows I am lost. I am a sinner. And he's like, anybody who's thirsty, come to me and I will be water to you. The eternal kingdom is only for somebody who knows they are thirsty spiritually. It is only for someone who realizes my thirst for a savior. It is only for somebody who realizes I am a sinner. And I can't save myself. I need a savior. And Jesus says those people who thirst like a deer that pants for water, as the psalmist says. Jesus says, I will give you the living water. That living water is his spirit living in us. That living water is him coming to dwell within us. The living water is him causing our spirits to be born again, made alive, so we can come into the eternal kingdom. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you do not have that thirst within you, something is disconnected. Something is broken. Something inside of you should be drawing you to the fact of saying, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. But he goes on to say this. Not only is those who are thirsty, but look at verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. 
Not only do you have to be thirsty, but you got to overcome. This is like, the, like Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 13 about the sower sowing the seed. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's going to be people. The seed is like the word of God. And that word is going to be sown. And there's going to be people who hear it and instantly reject it. I don't need that. I don't want it. But he also says there will be people who hear the word and, and go, oh, I believe that. I, I, I accept that. But here's what's going to happen. It's going to get choked out because the pressure of life is going to get to them. The trials, the storms, the, the, the weight of the world is going to be too much. And people will, and they say this, people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus, will say, if that's the way God is, thank you, and I'm gone. And they turn away from God. And they reject it. Jesus also says that there will be seed that will be sown and people again will receive it. Oh, I believe in Jesus. But then the pleasures of the world, the desires of life, the, the pursuit of money, all of this stuff will choke it out. And they will chase after the world, chase after the culture, want everything to do with life, but nothing to do with Christ. And Jesus is saying, if you overcome Right now, while you're living, we're all going through the storm. Things happen in all of our lives. It's pressing you. It is like you're all in the press right now. Some of you, you are, you, the world and all of its flashes are pulling you. You've got to overcome. He says, if you, those who overcome, I'll be their God. You'll be my child. But those, flip the coin, turn the table. Those who do not overcome, those who walk away, those who follow the world and say, I don't want Jesus right now, they are the ones who will be lost. They're the ones who do not receive the sonship. And they do not receive the eternal kingdom. And then look at verse 8. He says, but the cowardly. The cowardly is anybody who, who I don't want to believe in Jesus, man. That's going to that's be like, you know, that's too scary. I don't want, because what will people think of me? How many of you know there's a lot of people who don't choose Jesus because of what will people think of me? They don't want anything to do with it. He says, so the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immorality, the sexual immoral, those who practice magical arts, the adulterers, the liars. He says it this way. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The second death. Now, no one wants to hear that part of these verses. We all like the eternal kingdom part. We all like we're all going to heaven part. But nobody wants the reality of there are people who truly do not know Christ. There are people who have been cowards their entire life and, and refuse to stand up as a believer. Who have been cowardly and say, nope, I don't want Jesus. Man, I don't want people calling me a Jesus freak. There are people, as it says, who are unbelieving. They may have a belief about God, but they don't truly believe in God. They don't truly believe and trust Jesus as their Savior. There are people, and the rest of those things are just sin. 
There are people who are sinners and they think, I don't need a savior. I can be good enough and that will erase all my sin. No, it will not. Jesus makes it very clear in the book of John chapter 3 verse 5. He says, I tell you the truth. No one will enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In John 3, verse 36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And then here in Revelation, he says, write this down, because it is trustworthy and true. Loved ones, listen to me. If you know you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, I mean, I'm not talking you just have a belief about Jesus, like you believe there's electricity in these walls. I'm talking you have a belief that's changed your life. You have a thirst for Christ within you. I'm not saying you're perfect by any means, but there's something inside of you that says, man, I want to be like Jesus. Man, I want to walk with Christ. There's something inside of you that says, man, I want to honor the Lord. I want my life to worship the Lord. If that's not in you, you've got to truly ask yourself, as Paul says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And if you're not really in the faith, you may come to church, but that's all you have. And if the apex of your faith is that you sit in a chair on a Sunday morning and nothing else, you better ask yourself, are you truly a believer in Jesus Christ? And today, if you are an unbeliever, you've never asked Jesus, you are a sinner. You're just living for self, man. You just live on your terms. The Bible makes it very clear in the book of Isaiah, and we'll get there one of these days. That your sin separates you from God for all eternity. And you can't fix yourself. That's why Jesus says that whoever believes in me shall be born again. Your good works can't make you born again spiritually. Your good deeds cannot make you born again spiritually. You just being a nice person cannot make you born again spiritually. The only thing that can cause your spirit to be made alive again, because as Ephesians chapter 2 says, without Christ you are spiritually dead. The only thing that can make you spiritually alive is say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I thirst for you. Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Come into my life and save me. Those are the people that will receive the ultimate reward, eternal life in Christ and walking into an eternal kingdom. But today, if you truly do not know Jesus, I'm telling you, These words are trustworthy and true. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, your reward will not be come into the eternal kingdom. Your eternal punishment will be. Jesus will look at you at that judgment seat and say these words. I never knew you. Depart from me. And you will be sent. I mean, I I, I don't like saying it. But you will be sent and departed from the presence of Christ and God Almighty for all eternity and spend the rest of eternity forever and ever in the lake of fire, which is literal hell, where Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are being tormented day and night forever and ever.
So, loved one, today, if you don't know Christ, if there's not a thirst in you, if there's not a longing truly in you, maybe today you truly don't know Christ. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, the Apostle Paul says it this way, today, if you hear his voice, don't turn away. For today is the day of salvation. Let's all stand and have a word of prayer. Can we close with the song, I Believe? If you would, just bow your head with me. Let's just go before God and just have a a quick word of prayer. And I just want you to examine your heart this morning. I don't know the condition of your heart. Only you do. The person standing next to you doesn't know the condition of your heart truly. There's only two people who know the condition of your heart and where you truly stand with God, and that is you and God. And today, if you have never truly repented of your sin, today, if you've never truly said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, come into my life. If you've never truly confessed him as your Savior, today is your day if you want it. Jesus again says, whoever believes in me, He gives you the option, the choice to believe in him or to reject him. And the reality is none of us are promised a life of 90 or 100 years. God could say, give me back my breath today. Are you ready? As the book of Hebrews says, we all are appointed to die once and then it's on to judgment. You don't get a second chance after you die. This is the only time while you're alive to be able to put your faith in Christ. And today, if you don't know truly Jesus as your Savior, would you just please just lift your hand because I want you to have that option. I want you to have that opportunity. I want to pray with you. Would there be anybody say, Jim, that is me. I do not really know Jesus. I've I've just been playing a game. I've just been just coming to church and that's about it. So Father, I thank you for Your word, it is trustworthy and true. And Lord, I just ask that you would just keep working in hearts and if there would be anyone here today, Father, who truly does not know you, that even in that foyer, they would come up and say, Jim, please pray for me. I don't know Jesus. But Lord, I pray now that as we close this song, I pray that we would sing this song with a a faith that's fervent, a hope that's alive, because Lord, we know that if we believe in Jesus, We have eternal life and we will be walking into this eternal kingdom and we will dwell with you forever. So we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.